Thank you, Patty and worship team. Jesus made a way for us, and that changes everything, literally everything. What an awesome message. Well, you know, Wayside Chapel, I think, has had this long-term reputation of being a, a community that is committed to preaching, the exeg exegeting and preaching the, the teaching and the Word of God. Um, we are known for that in our community. We're known for that around the world. We're known as a, as a community rooted in the Word. We're also known as a, as a church that is a, a place where we are reaching out to the world. Um, and we are known for our ministries around the world. Um, Wayside has a reputation amongst missionaries in other countries. Um, when you visit different places, people will say, you're from Wayside Chapel. In fact, um, I didn't see Peter come in. Is Peter back here? Peter, there you are. Peter, would you stand up? Peter Casariva is here this morning. Peter is, is in Uganda. They're doing some awesome ministry there. They are reaching out to the southern Sudanese to try and establish a work there to, to reach the northern Sudanese that are Arabic speaking. But, but Wayside is known for its ministries of preaching the word and of um, reaching out to the world. Acts 1.8 says that, you know, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be Christ's witnesses in Ju Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And we, we like to say that God has called all of us to be his witnesses here, near, and far. We are all part of that calling. Uh, that's why we call it Glocal Ministries at Wayside Chapel. We have a passion to see the lost reach for Christ global, globally and locally, here and far. But several years ago, really before I came, the elders of Wayside started realizing we've been doing a great job internationally, but we have not been doing such a great job locally. And we have to become passionate about reaching our, our neighbor, our community, those around us. And so since that time, we've been making efforts in that direction. That's one of the reasons why we have two weeks for our local emphasis, to, to emphasize what God is doing here locally. And that's this week, what he's doing in Colonial Hills and through the SAM ministry. And even here in, in Castle Hills, I was extremely excited. Yes, we, had, we had 10 people just volunteer to come out and go door to door, sharing their faith. Um, God is, is stirring that fire amongst us. And in many ways, that's, that's why we are excited this morning to have Dan Reeve come and share with us. Dan is the uh, director, the president of the Center for Student Missions. They've got um, 11 uh, places where they minister, 11 urban settings around the United States, and they send thousands of students and families every year to be engaged in ministry in the urban context. Uh, their heart is to see those experiences change the lives of those who are there, change their faith, and that those experiences would begin to change those communities where they're serving and ministering. And that those experiences would ultimately change some of their the students' vocational choices as, as they would commit themselves to go back, to pour themselves back into our cities, into people's lives. Um, that's one of the reasons Wayside this year is going to be sending us our student trip to Denver to work with Center for Student Ministries, um, to, to be in that partnership, to be training and equipping that next generation to reach our cities. Well, Dan comes to us this morning from New York City. Come on up, Dan. Um, I've known Dan for over 20 years. And, uh, and apart from his um, give it his very best in every circumstance personality, um, I have just been encouraged by Dan's tireless uh, heart for the poor and for the city. Um, to see lives and people transformed through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so it is an honor to have Dan with us. We need more Dan Reeves in our world, and we need more Dan Reeves in San Antonio. Would you warmly welcome uh, with me Dan Reeves? Dan, nice to have you. 
All right, let's just <clears throat> get this all out of the way. Yeah, I'm from Brooklyn. You got a problem with that? Okay. <clears throat> How many of you have ever been to New York City? Okay. Uh, is there anyone here that's originally from New York City that could translate? Okay. Uh, oh, there is. Okay, that's great. Well, let's 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 get a little cultural acclimation here. Um, so uh, you say, uh, you know, when when you're in Texas and you want to greet someone, what do you usually say? Howdy. Howdy or okay. So in <clears throat> in Brooklyn, it's how you doing? Okay. So I'd like you to try that, and I'll give you the response. Okay. So go ahead, say it. How you doing? <laughs> yeah. Let's try it again. Why do you want to know? Are you a cop? So, you know, just, just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, uh, I, I actually spoke in a church in Minnesota once, and, uh, and afterwards a little lady asked me, oh, you're from Brooklyn? I said, yeah. She said, so tell me, what's it like to actually mug somebody? <laughs> and I said, here, let me show you. So, um, I work with Center for Student Missions, and what we do is we, uh, we deploy uh, youth and adults to come and join us any time during the year in one of our 11 cities. We're just starting up in Detroit. And um, uh, while you're there, you're not going to be helping CSM's ministries. You're going to be helping CSM's ministry partners. So we have these legitimate partners. We have 270 of them. Uh, around the country in these 11 cities, and you'll come and help them so that they can make a difference in the inner city, uh, in Detroit, in Chicago, in Philly, in New York, in L.A., in San Francisco, in Denver, in Houston. Uh, yeah, we're even here in Texas. So. Um, and I guess you kind of might wonder, why, why do you do that? Why do you do that ministry? Well, I just want to tell you my story real quick. Because what happened is I grew up in New York City, and uh, both my parents were alcoholics. Uh, and my dad was a mean, angry alcoholic. And for some reason, when I was five years old, my father uh, decided that us kids, there were seven of us, should go to Sunday school. So he put us in this little Bible church in Queens. And uh, just took us one Sunday and dropped us off. And, uh, and that church sort of adopted me and my siblings. And uh, so every Sunday, they would come and get us for Sunday school and church and evening service and prayer meeting and youth group and kids club. And uh, every time they came to get us, they would say something about Jesus to my mom and dad. And when I was 13 years old, my dad decided to commit suicide. And uh, he got in his car at 2 o'clock in the morning, was barreling down the Cross Bay Boulevard. He was going to run his car off the bridge. And... Um, uh, a boy on a bicycle came out in front of him, a 10-year-old boy. And my father saw the bike, but not the kid, and he swerved and he hit the bike, and the kid went flying. My dad screeched on his brakes. He was drunk, but he got out and he stumbled over, and the boy was okay, but the bike was wiped out. He threw the bike in the car, took the kid home, 2 o'clock in the morning, got back in his car, and asked this question, what was a 10-year-old boy doing out on Cross Bay Boulevard on a bicycle at 2 o'clock in the morning? And everything this little Bible church folks ever said to my dad came back to his brain. My dad got out of the car, and he got on his knees, and he said, Lord, I, 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 I'm giving you my life. Take it. The next morning, he, uh, he took us 
children down to the bridge with our pastor and told us what happened. He had a bottle of gallows wine. He dumped it out. And he said, I'm never going to drink again. I said, oh, yeah, I've been there, done that, sure, right, sure. My dad never did drink again. Uh, my dad um, uh, was discipled by our pastor. It turns out he, he was an evangelist. He only had a third grade in education, but he was a tremendous evangelist. At his funeral five years ago, uh, there were about 1,000 people there, and we asked, how many of you came to faith in Christ because of Al? And uh, literally, there were 500 people. 500 people stood up and said, we came to faith in Christ. So, so when people say, why do you do what you do? Why do you care about the urban poor? Why do you care about the immigrant? Why do you care about the little, the little punk kids on the street? Uh, wh- why, do you, why do you care about all the things? It's because... God has given me a burden for the Dan Reeves that he keeps on placing right on our doorstep. And I also care about doing ministry that's church a century because that little church made such a powerful difference in our lives, in my whole family's life. It's now an evangelical free church, has been for a long time, but, uh, uh, but that church, and it's never been more than 75 to 100 people and right now, it's about 50 people, and mostly Guyanese. Uh, but that church has produced dozens of pastors, probably 50 missionaries. I mean, it's just an amazing little congregation. And it has reached out for about 75 years in that community. Uh, so why I do what I do is because of that. Now, that's why I do what I do, but uh, what do I do is the big, big question. Because everything has changed since I've been doing ministry. 35 years in urban ministry. And, and, you know, we always like to tell these jokes, these stories about, why, when I was a boy. Come, come on, raise your hand if you've ever said those words. Yeah, okay. Oh, and the rest of you are just liars. Come on. Uh, you know, well, you know, back, back when I was a boy, you know, uh, 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 we didn't have a remote control. We had to get up and turn our own TV dial, you know. When I was a boy, we walked up hill to school three miles in the snow every day, both ways. And, you know, well, my favorite is, why, when I was a boy, we didn't have water. We had to mix our own hydrogen and oxygen, you know. <laughs> you know, but, but the truth of the matter is, things haven't just changed since I was a boy. Things have changed in the last 10 years. In fact, everything has changed in the last 10 years. And it powerfully impacts mission. The city has changed. Gentrification has displaced the poor so that you have a really hard time finding the poor in one neighborhood anymore. They're all over the city. In fact, they're all over the metro. In fact, the poor are right here in your own community. The homeless are no longer in the Bowery Mission area of New York City, and it renders the Bowery Mission worthless in many ways because there are no more homeless people living around the Bowery, only people living in gated communities and gated buildings with security guards. The city has changed, and urban culture has just gone mainstream. And yes, crime has dropped. New York City is the safest city of, among one, one million population cities in America. Did you know that? Yeah, uh, I live in a very safe city. Not like San Antonio. Man, this place scares me. You know? <laughs> and yet, uh, people are, are still as anonymous as ever. 
and as needy as ever, and it is still the drop-off point for immigrants. But the thing that's changed the most in 10 years is the youth, the generation that we call sometimes the millennials. Just think about how they've changed. 10 years ago, youth were, were modern. Now they're postmodern. Ministry used to be evangelism. Now ministry is justice. Ministry, uh, culture used to be suburban, and now it's urban. It used to be pop music, and now it's hip-hop. It used to be TV, and then it became internet, and now it's texting and tweeting and, and Instagrams and all those other things I really don't know how to do. It's, it used to be short attention spans for youth, and now everybody's ADD. I'm telling you, it used to be that there was a biblical spirituality 10 years ago. And today there's a smorgasbord of spiritual experiences for youth to pick from. It used to be that work and career were the number one priority that we had even just 10 years ago. And today it's play first, play first. The TV show of 10 years ago was Friends. And today it's the Big Bang Theory. It's, it went from being friends to being community. It wasn't 10 years ago that youth wanted to be left alone. They wanted to be independent. They didn't need mom and dad. They didn't need their pastors. They didn't need their teachers. And today, they expect mentoring. Pay attention to me. I need your attention. Am I offending anybody? I uh, hope not. But um, They used to be tech savvy. Remember, remember good old days when youth were tech savvy? Now they're tech addicted. Uh, I, I mean, the average millennial cannot go more than five minutes without some kind of, 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 of texting or, or iPad or iPhone in their hands. They used to be task-focused, and now they're famously multitask-focused. They are tech people. And still they have some kind of social conscience that demands some kind of justice. Immigration has changed. A million people come into this country every year, uh, and that, that's a million that we know of, every single year that come into our country. They no longer just come from Europe, they are coming from the east and they're coming from the south. In my neighborhood, my neighborhood has about 90,000 uh, Albanians, about 80,000 Latinos, mostly Mexicans. Um, we have almost 100,000 Arabs, and we have about a quarter of a million Chinese. And in the storefront windows, we actually have signs that say, here, we speak English. So, so that, you know, you know that, hey, if you go in there, they, there's somebody that probably will be able to help you. And with the world's immigration coming to our doorstep, the world's religions have just come and inundated us. Immigration reform and language and, and, and the varieties of cultures all challenge our mission right on our own doorstep. The implications for mission is that we can no longer, and I hope you hear me on this, we can no longer do mission like we did just a decade ago. We just can't. But the challenge isn't just that everything has changed. The challenge is that we somehow have missed a major part of the mission. 
And that's why the story that I want to talk about today has so many implications for us. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, and it's a story you know really well, but I wanted to read it because I don't know where Pastor Roger went to seminary. Where did he go to seminary? Oh, yeah, see, there, there's the problem right there. Oh, so, see, I, I went to Trinity Seminary, where, where, you know, we teach the Bible. I, I don't know. I, uh, Bob Rowley uh, and I went down to Mexico once to do, uh, show the Jesus video. And, and uh, while we're down there, after we showed the video and gave the invitation, I said, hey, Bob, I'll put the screen away because at Trinity, we learn about things like that. And he said, that's good because at, at Dallas, we learn how to get Trinity people to do those things. <laughs> Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Come on, this is serious. We're in the Bible. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. From the cities. Interesting. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is a desolate uh, is desolate, and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away, that they may go to their villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. You got to get that right. You know, they're whining by now. We only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. How many of you have ever heard this story before? You'll be surprised how many millennials haven't, by the way. But, uh, so this is a very famous story, and, uh, and it tells us a lot about mission because what happened was these uh, disciples had just come back from their great big mission uh, task that uh, uh, Luke 10 had talked about. And, uh, and Herod was on, on the warpath, and, and uh, John the Baptist had been beheaded, and they were tired, and the crowds were ever surrounding them, and were getting really peopled out and burned out. And so they went to Jesus, Jesus, we need a retreat. We need to go on a retreat. Let's get away. And Jesus said, okay, let's get away to a secluded place. And when they crossed the sea, they realized that even though it was only six miles across and eight miles around, it was often a lot quicker to walk around. So when they got to the other side, the disciples said, oh, no, the people again. Oh, Jesus, we need a retreat, please. And what they learned that day was what mission tools they needed. For what they needed, first of all, was eyes to see. Eyes to see. You see, Jesus had 2020 mission vision. 
These disciples, well, not so much. Uh, they had a nearsighted problem. They were self-centered. They wanted to have their own retreat. They wanted to get their time alone with Jesus. They wanted to get their time away from the crowds. They wanted to eat their own meal for once. For crying out loud, we, we don't need a whole lot of people around to feed. They, they, they just had this, this self-centeredness and this, this selfishness. Uh, and, and they're kind of like the church in America. We want our time. We want our building. We want our money. We want our pastor's attention. We pay him. He should be paying attention to us. Believe me, some of us pastors really hear you this way. <laughs> but we were self-centered, and, and, and we believe that we deserve to have our own because our eyes are, are, are somehow nearsighted. And others of us are like the disciples because we have this myopic problem. It's called prejudice. Well, we only see it this way. But this was a diverse crowd. This surely had Samaritans. And you know what? The disciples thought about Samaritans. And they had Gentiles and they had Greeks and they had godless people. And they had women in that crowd. And they had children in that crowd. And everybody knows none of them count. But the gospel is for all class and all people. And the Bible says clearly that the gospel knows no male or female, Jew or Gentile, bond or free. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah, you say you believe that. But like the disciples, you forget about Nineveh and the lesson learned from the prejudice of not wanting to go there. Winding up in a whale. Be careful. Be careful. I know there aren't any whales in San Antonio, but... Oh, there are? Well, you really better be careful then. Oh, wow. Remember the story of the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan and the disciples didn't want anything to do with her. Remember the story of the good Samaritan and who really cared? Remember that the Bible is filled in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, with the prophets and the gospels and the epistles about not being prejudiced towards people who are different from you. But they were. They forgot that the nations of the world were in that crowd. We're sort of ambivalent about, about the peoples of the world in our cities because they're kind of a threat to us. They're different from us. You know, I mean, they, they seem to have a different word for everything. You know, they, 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 they cook food that smells up your street. They, they paint the houses a different color from you. And our ambivalence is due to some kind of innate prejudice that, that we Americans have. And I hate to say this, but what are you going to do, fire me? No, I, but, but it's true. It's hard to live in America and grow up in America and not have prejudice. It's so ingrained in us as Americans. And when we become Christians, it is one of the last places to be redeemed. We're ambivalent because we agree with the Statue of Liberty. Bring us your poor huddled masses yearning to be free, but not in my backyard. I don't want you in my neighborhood. You can go downtown San Antonio, but not up here in my neighborhood. So the disciples weren't the only ones that had myopia. But more than anything, they had cataracts. They had cataracts. My, my eye doctor just told me that I have to start wearing more sunglasses because I'm having the same problem. You, you folks are looking a little fuzzy to me. 
I didn't have enough coffee. You know, they didn't see clearly God's plan because God's plan, according to Acts 17, and if you don't hear anything more, hear this for me, please. Acts 17, 26 says, God ordains the exact time and place of our habitation so that, does anyone know what the so that is? It's a test. I know you said there wasn't going to be a test, but there is. So that, we might seek him and find him. God's plan is to put the peoples of the world in that crowd. God's plan is to put the peoples of the world in our doorstep. God's plan is to put them in our church, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our schools, in our jobs, on our block, so they might seek him and find him. And they're going to seek him and find him through you. No. You might say, well, why do we really care? Why is it really important why our resources should go, our time, our, our money, our, 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 our lives should be going towards the people that God has placed here in our doorstep, to the poor? Why, why is it important? I kind of have four reasons. One is that no nation in the history of this planet has ever prospered who had the gospel and withheld it. Look at your history. Read uh, your aren't, whatever that is, that book. No nation has had the gospel and kept it and not shared it has ever prospered on this planet. Secondly, the Bible's clear. Light that is not shared becomes darkness. The third reason is that Jesus' example was holistic. He reached out to all people in all ways. He didn't see people just as spiritual. He saw them as having physical needs, emotional needs, and social needs. And he ministered and said to us, as the Father sent me, so send I you. See, there's a test, and you guys are doing okay. And the third is that, fourth reason is that there are only three kinds of churches in this world. There's the undertaker church. The Undertaker Church is a church that's dying or died, and there's some kind of denominational folks, maybe from another denomination, are swirling over the building waiting to buy it out when the last deacon dies. That's the Undertaker Church. Then there's the Caretaker Church. That's the church where everyone's saying, oh, we gotta take care of ourselves. You know, we gotta minister to ourselves. We gotta use our resources for us. And, and the Caretaker Church is heading right towards the Undertaker Church. So there's only one other kind of church in my mind. It's the risk-taking church. It's a church that hears God's call to me, be missional and says, we'll take whatever we've got with whoever we've got whenever we can to wherever we can and use it for God's mission until it's all used up and see what happens. That's the only church that's going to make it. That's why you use your resources. You need eyes to see right in front of you, not just across water. A few years ago, I was speaking to the women's ministry. I get in trouble a lot with those women. I, I don't know why, but I, I, I really do. But one, one time, uh, they were, um, they, uh, they were going to do a project for us. And, uh, and uh, I, I don't know if they still do this, but they were doing uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas cards for missionaries in the free church. And, uh, but they weren't doing it for our home missionary folks or in our urban and our ethnic missionaries. 
So I went to them uh, during a national conference, and they let me speak to them. And I said, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to dig a trench around all of our urban and ethnic missionaries, and I'm going to fill it with salt water, and then they have to cross over in a plank. And if that's the case, then would you give them Christmas gifts? Now, they gave it to them, but really they were mad at me. And they, they were... The women's, I don't know, I, I love the women's ministries, but I get in a lot of trouble. So, <laughs> anyway, you know what? Let's, let's move on to the second thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the mission is here. So, they, we need eyes to see. Secondly, we need hearts to feel. And you might say, well, wait a minute. I'm a pretty compassionate person. And this is a really pretty compassionate church. And we care. And we really love. And compassion means that we have pity on people. So we go across the ocean. We go to the East Africa. And we go to, to northern China. And we go to Latin America. And, and we show a lot of pity to people. But that's not what Jesus had. Jesus in the story, the, crowd, the disciples see the crowd and say, oh, no. And Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. And compassion isn't just pity. Compassion is joining in their pain and their suffering with an urgency to alleviate it. You get that? That's what compassion is. It's joining with people's feelings of suffering and pain and saying, I got to do something about that. That's compassion. I, I, I love to tell the story I went to a, a church. I'm not going to mention the church. But it wasn't even Jock Free Church. Um, uh, and, and it was in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. <laughs> I went. And I have been known, and I didn't do it to you, but I have been known to show up in a church as a speaker dressed like a hobo or, or a homeless person or, or what we used to call a bum, you know. And, and I, I, I would wear several layers of clothes, all very dirty, and I'd wear a pack pack and, and dirty gloves and Sometimes I'd even step in some dog dirt, and so I'd smell really good. And I showed up at this church uh, one fall, and uh, I got out of the car and instantly was accosted by two faithful trustees who said, Hey, you, get out of here. And, and they, they literally walked me to the gate and, and told me to go away. And I got a little miffed, but I said, I'm not going to be deterred. So I went around and got in and started heading towards the front door, and the ushers told me to go away. Hey, come on, come on. The, 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 no, we don't have any money. We don't give money to, to folks like you. Come on, come on, move on. We, you know, uh, there's a mission downtown. You can go there. I couldn't believe it. Now, I want you to remember that the theme of that that I was speaking on was compassion for the poor. So I snuck in the back door because I happened to know where the back door was. And I was so mad, I started collecting money. So I'd say, hey, hey, uh, you got a dollar? And two really weird things happened. One was there was a boy, he was about 13 years old, and this boy came up to me, and, and all these kids were laughing at me, you know. But this one boy, I, I went to the group of kids, and I said, got a dollar, and this one boy was digging in his pocket, and he had like 65 cents. And he said, I'm sorry, I only got like 65 cents. I don't have a dollar, but will that help? And he took my dirty hand, he's a 13-year-old boy, and he put that in his hand, and in my hand, he said, and can I pray for you? Because I don't know where you're heading, but can I? And, he, and this 13-year-old boy prayed for this, this guy. 
And I started to weep a little bit, and I had to get away because I was going to be caught and found out. So I went and sat by the coat rack on a bench, and this old lady comes up. And I mean old. She was like in her 90s. I mean, she was old. She had a walker. It was a super fast walker. But she sat down and said, are you a hobo? And I thought, oh, here we go again. I said, no, not really a hobo. Well, you've been riding the rails? And so, you know, I've ridden a train. So I said, yeah, I've ridden a train. So tell me where you've been. And then she started to say, boy, that's a hard life you got, huh? And she started to put her arm around me. And at first, it started creeping me out, you know? I'm thinking, what, what's this? And I, I said, yeah. And then she said, listen, let me pray for you, honey. And, and, and this is a Minnesotan, by the way. They, they don't touch people there, you know. Uh, everything you hear from Garrison Keillor is true. And, and so she put her arm around me, and she prayed for me. Well, I, I, I got up to... To, and the pastor's in on this thing. And so he gets up at the service and he says, well, Dan Reeve didn't show up today. So let's do some missions testimonies. Anyone got a testimony? Of course, I raise my hand and I come. And, and he said, do you have, you have a testimony of missions? I said, yeah. And, and so he said, come on up. And the people thinking, what's wrong with the pastor? He's crazy. So I get up there and I start taking off clothes as I'm telling my story. And I've got a suit on underneath. And, and, um, and you can well imagine how sheepish everybody felt. But the point was that they said they were a compassionate church and they wanted me to speak about compassion, but they had no capacity for feeling my pain and an urgency to alleviate it. That's what compassion is. That's what Jesus said he had. He was filled with it. And then the third thing we need is eyes to see, we need a heart to feel, and we need hands to act. We need power to act. We're full of excuses in our churches. Now, I, I used to work for the Evangelical Free Church. For 17 years, I was their urban missions director, so I have the right to pick on free churches. And I can tell you that over the 17 years I was their urban director, I heard all the excuses in the world why we weren't reaching out to immigrants, why we weren't reaching out in the city, why we weren't caring about the poor. And the most common one was, we don't have enough money. It's not fair. We don't, you know, uh, and, and just like disciples, I said, are you kidding me? Feed these people? That would take eight months wages. We don't have enough money. Well, you saw how that turned out, that excuse. So forget it. Because how much, how much of the cattle on, on how many hills does God own? Oh, I think it's on a thousand hills or something. Yeah, you know, that, that's just crazy that we don't have enough money. And, and, and then the others, well, we got this little boy here. And the, the Greek makes it clear that it was a young boy. I mean, we're only a lad. What can a lad do? I got to tell you, are there any junior hires in the room so I won't get in trouble? Okay, good. Junior hires are so dumb <laughs> that they don't know they can't do stuff. So they'll do anything. So I say to a junior hire, hey, go talk to a homeless man. Okay. <laughs> you know? and, but you say that to a, a college student, oh, he doesn't want to talk to me. No, no I don't. You know, I, I love junior hires. I, I'm the middle schooler, junior high guy in my church. And, and I love, I, I was telling someone last night that, that as long as you got enough bodily fluid and bodily function jokes, you know, you're just fine. Um, well, this was just a lad. And, and we say the same thing. Well, you know, we're too old, or we're too young, or we're too stupid, or we're too intelligent. You know, uh, uh, and, and we forget what the Bible says, that God uses 
The foolish things this world confound the wise. He uses the weak to shame the strong. He's always used people that don't have any capacity, any competency. Remember Samuel, just a kid. David, a slingshot. Gideon, the least of his family. Remember uh, the maiden who helped Nathan. Remember that cult. It wasn't a full horse or a full donkey. It was just a little cult. God loves to use the foolish things of this world. In this room, I'm very excited because you're not the brightest bulbs on the tree. (laughs) You're not the richest people in the world. You're, you know, you're not the youngest and you're not the oldest. It's, I love it. God can use you. Stop that excuse. Will you for crying out loud? And what are you going to do? Fire me for saying that? Come on. I'm going back to Brooklyn. Write a nasty letter to my board. The third thing is, the excuse was, hey, God could do it himself. Hey, Jesus, you know, uh, we heard this in missions for generations. For, for, for generations, we've heard people say, Hey, if God wants to reach those people in China, he can do it without our help, young man. We've heard that for years. But God, Jesus chose to use the disciples. He said, bring that kid to me. He broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples. He said, you give it out. Because in all of missions history, he has always placed his people between the bread and the multitudes. Always. He chooses to use you. There's no excuse. So here's the test. There's an exam at the end of the the sermon. So God needs you to have three tools to do mission on your doorstep here in urban and rural and suburban America, among the immigrant, among the poor, among the youth, among the millennials. God expects to use you to holistically reach out to the physical, spiritual, emotional, and social needs of the people around you. And he says you need three tools. The first is eyes to... This this side got it, but... (laughs) Pastor Rick, this is the slow group, huh? Okay. So, uh, you need eyes to... And you need hearts to... And you need hands to... To act. It's, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, that's an acceptable answer. I mean, this isn't Price is Right. So, <laughs> brothers and sisters, the truth is you got to get some optometrist to help you out. We need some eye care. We just do. We need to ask God to, to, to give us an eye exam and, and help us to see without the myopia and the self-centeredness and the cataracts and, 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 and the nearsightedness. And only God can tenderize your hearts. Only God can do that. So who do you have to ask to tenderize your heart? And you need to give up all these excuses. You'll never have enough money to do a mission on your doorstep. You'll, you'll never be smart enough, dumb enough, rich enough, poor enough, old enough, young enough. Just give up these excuses. We need to give up the excuses and start to serve in a holistic way to the mission field that God has placed on our doorstep. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to start back from scratch by thinking about ministry on your job, on your campus, on your block, 
or even on your, in your family. I'd like you to take a minute. I'd like you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Now, I'm not doing an altar call today. But I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to pray this prayer. God, where can I start to be in the middle of the bread and somebody in need? And just take a second to be quiet and let God speak to you. Where can I start to be between the bread and somebody in need? Father God, I thank you that this church is so smart that it doesn't have a global missions, it has a local missions. I thank you for the men and women, boys and girls who've served yesterday and served so faithfully, are serving now across the planet, who are going on mission trips, who are working in the school with the police and the firemen and the neighbors and the community and the fiestas and I thank you, God, that this is a church that understands that mission is 2020 and it requires to look abroad and look right here on our own doorstep. I pray for those who are still blinded by nearsightedness or cataracts or myopia, that, Lord, you would be that heavenly optometrist that would clear their eyes and clear their focus Relieve them of their prejudice and of their selfishness and of their, uh, their, their unclear vision for what you're doing. And I pray, God, that we might leave this place remembering that instead of immigrants and the poor and young millennials being aggravating to us, we might remember your plan. You have ordained the time and place of every single one of them where they would live so they might seek you. This we pray in the name of the Father who sent the Son, in the name of the Son who sends us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be your witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. Amen. And thank you for uh, challenging us this morning. And I want to I want to encourage each of you. I, I I've been going to church for a while, heard a lot of messages, and I know it's one of the challenges is we're done. And so right now is when you've got some choices. Um, and I want to ask you to linger on those thoughts. Um, take a moment here before you leave. Um, make those three aspects a part of your conversation as you're having lunch today. What area do I need to grow in? Maybe for some of us, it's, it's C. Uh, maybe I'm, I don't know. I've had people tell me, I don't know any Christian, non-Christian friends. Maybe, maybe for you, there's some places where you've got to take some initiative to go and see some of those places and opportunities. For others, maybe you've seen it, but you haven't taken that step um, to be compassionate, to engage, to get involved. And there's, there's some new things that we're working on. We're talk, talking about doing a table project with reaching out to some poverty folks here in town. Um, Come see us. I, I'm happy to give you some thoughts on ways that we can work together to engage, um, to do, and to get involved. But I want to, that first step to me is take some time today to do some more talking with God about what he's speaking to you about. 
from, from this morning. You know, I am, I am so um, thrilled and thankful that Wayside is a community that is reaching out. And we have grown. We have embraced um, the Colonial Hill School and the families there in just an amazing way. We're involved with the transitional housing uh, center that SAM Ministries has, and we're engaging in our community. But there's so much more. There is so much more that needs to be done and that we have the capacity to do if we would take that step of willingness to be available for God to use us. Yesterday as we were out going door to door, um, all, all but maybe one or two of us had, none of us, are, I should say it this way, uh, only a couple of us had done that before. And um, most of the people that went out door to door had never done that before. And what struck me was their willingness to just be available, to go knock on a few doors and ask somebody, hey, we're out, tell us, tell us what you think of Jesus today. Through that, God had a, several conversations with each of the groups because they were willing just to, to be available for God. And I'm not saying all of us need to be going door to door, but all of us do need to be willing to follow God, to be engaged in the mission that he has called each and every one of us to be a part of. So my, my, my joy is to say we are engaged. My challenge is to say there's so much more that God, I think, has for us as a congregation, as a community, to impact the community around us. Next week, we've got um, Dr. Edez Soref coming from Israel College of the Bible and One for Israel. Um, there's some more information in your bulletin of um, uh, we've got to have a special dessert to hear more about Israel and how God is bringing together Arab and Jew through faith in Christ. Um, there's some exciting things that are going on. I appreciate just the opportunity to serve together alongside you guys. And I want to ask that God would bless us as we go out to be his witnesses here, near, and far. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.